Castle Cast B-Sides, Episode 31, The Black and White Animals Trilogy, Uncut, by Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and Norm Sherman. Originally aired in serialized form on the Travelcast, May 2nd, 2007. Gather round ye lads and lasses and listen to me Have you ever looked into the eyes of your beloved little puppy and wondered what he was thinking? Your fluffy little kitty? Your marbled salamander? What do you think's going on in his cute little head? Do you think he wants a treat? To be let out? Maybe to go for a walk? What if you could find out what was really going on? I can tell you. But are you sure you really want to know? Travelcast Productions is proud to present something that you may not be ready to hear. Black and white animals. Secret weapons. The humans are close to uncovering the secret. If we don't act now, then... Silence, Nugwok. I've grown weary of your insignificant chatter. Though outwardly stern and imposing, inwardly Emperor Mertzatz felt his midmost heart skip a beat. Could that destitute Smarlhog be right? That the humans were closer than ever to discovering what had been right in front of their pasty, inept faces all this time? Yes, perhaps it is time. Attend! He shouted to his nearest minion. Yes, your celestial eminence, came the voice from a scampering servant. Take Nugwalk here and make a stew of him. Bring him out and feed him to the starving masses near the gates. Don't tell them it's Nugwok, of course. Tell them it's a succulent roast Durgon sent from their benevolent emperor. The mindless sycophant held back giggles as he thanked Mertzatz for the opportunity to serve him and peered in the direction of Nugwok, who had begun to tremble a little more than usual. But your majesty, I was the one who... I assure you, Nugwok... The Emperor responded calmly. If you speak without my consent again, you will suffer a fate much worse than that of being lunch for the starving peasantry. Indeed, no other words were spoken, and Nugwok was led out of the deathly silent royal war room to his doom. The Emperor glanced quickly around, satisfying himself that he had gotten the Council's attention. He then gathered himself into a regal stance, cleared his throats, and spoke. Resources on our planet are now exhausted. Our people starve in the streets. There is no question that they will soon revolt. 
4,000 Sarpex have passed since my father laid the plans that would one day allow us to claim our destiny on planet Earth. And I say to you who are gathered here, the time of patience has departed, and humanity's end has arrived. Will any of you pitiful creatures stand in the way of progress? The eyes of the remaining council members shifted anxiously, yet all persisted in their silence. I didn't think so. Give the orders to activate the secret weapons. Is it true? Is it true, Mommy? Eight-year-old Harry Plimpton was running circles around his mother, Brenda, repeating the question until his mom replied. Yes, Harry, but you know what? I bet all the other boys and girls going on the field trip are already in bed by now so they can be ready for tomorrow. So get in bed, mister. I'll wake you up in the morning and we'll be off. Ah, okay, ma. Oh, we're going to have so much fun tomorrow. Do you think Tommy can sit with us? I don't see why not, but first things first, let's get you to bed. As Brenda bustled her boy towards his bedroom, she wondered again why in the world she had volunteered to be a parent helper for the field trip tomorrow. Not only was she going to have to deal with over 20 first graders, but to top everything off, they were going to the National Zoo in D.C. She had always hated the zoo. It was just a bunch of ridiculous animals in cages, overfed, lazy, and smelly. Half the time she couldn't even tell which one was uglier, and yet she was supposed to ooh and ah while an orangutan scratched himself and a panda chewed on bamboo. No thanks. In the throes of self-pity, Brenda shuffled out of Harry's bedroom and promptly tripped over Scooter, the Dalmatian puppy she had gotten for Harry against her better judgment. Damn dog, she muttered as she leaned her slightly overweight frame against the wall to regain her balance. The things I do for that kid. As Brenda resumed her course, she looked back and was struck by the strange way the eyes of the black and white spotted dog followed her. That's the thing about those animals she thought to herself. They sit there looking at you, and you never know what they're thinking. Creeps me out. The next day passed, much as Brenda expected, although hurting twenty middle-class Delaware preschoolers did remove her from the tedium of trying to care about the animals on display. She looked at her watch and realized that she only had to smell animal feces for about another hour. She was just patting herself on the back for her first-rate display of patience when her son's yelling snapped her out of it. Ma! Ma! We want to go see the pandas! They're the best! Why not? She thought to herself. She knew they only had a little while longer anyway. She rolled her eyes and said, All right, let's go. But we better hurry. We don't have much time. They got to the panda exhibit, just as it was closing. A scowling zookeeper with dark-rimmed eyes agreed to let them in after being assaulted by the gaggle of pleading eight-year-olds, but he quickly wandered off. Luckily, the veterinarian was making his rounds, and as the kids crowded the glass divider and were paralyzed with awe, he kindly intoned, "'That one's Maylon. 
She's two years old. After the initial excitement died down, the kids started to wonder where the other panda was. There were supposed to be two in this exhibit. Where's Ling Ling? Where's Ling Ling? They took turns asking. Brenda joined the search, and she too could not find the other panda. Suddenly, a blood-curdling scream split the confusion. Brenda turned to her left to see what must have been Ling Ling, standing less than ten yards away. Don't be scared. Just settle down, the vet pleaded as he ran past the frightened children and approached the panda, which all of a sudden seemed much bigger than any panda Brenda could remember seeing before. For the first time, she appreciated the true beauty of this wild creature, even while her body became frozen with fear. The zookeeper patted the panda and turned his attention toward the children. "'It's okay,' he said. "'I'm not sure how he got out here, but he's very nice. Is anyone brave enough to come pet him?' The kids looked around until Harry's friend, Tommy, raised his hand. "'Good,' the veterinarian responded. "'Okay, now just walk slowly and put your hand out. "'Let him sniff it.' "'Sure enough, the panda began to sniff, much like a dog. "'There you go. Now just—' "'Ah!' "'Before the zookeeper finished his sentence, "'the panda bit off Tommy's hand in one clean bite.' The kids started screaming and running away. Go to the bus now! Brenda screamed as she turned to retrieve the one-handed little boy whose adorable courage had just been rewarded with shock-inducing trauma. Her frantic action came to a bewildered halt as she saw Tommy just standing there, staring at the panda with blood pooling on the ground below his tattered wrists. Behind him was the vet, also standing serenely, just staring at the panda, unafraid but also seemingly unaware. What the hell was going on? Didn't they know their lives were in danger? Then the panda turned and looked straight at her. Newly synthesized adrenaline coursed through her body, screaming at her to flee, but there was something about the panda that was mesmerizing. He was so beautiful. Brenda realized she was staring at Ling Ling and found that she couldn't turn away, didn't even want to turn away, even as she felt Mei Lan, the other panda, closing in behind her. Good afternoon. This is Connor Chodesworth with Channel 12 News. Reports are coming in from all over the globe this hour in what can only be described as absolute pandemonium. National authorities are claiming that various species of animals are revolting across the world using some sort of mind control power that witnesses are calling a telepathic tranquilizer to pacify and control anyone within proximity. The one thing that seems to unite these enemies of mankind is that they all seem to be colored black and white. State and local security officials are advising that everyone stay indoors under all circumstances, unless you have a black and white cat, in which case you should find shelter somewhere else immediately. Ling Ling the Panda 
commander of the secret forces, turned off the radio and smiled grimly. Staying indoors wouldn't help the humans. It would only make them easier to corral into holding facilities. The order to round up what was left of mankind and place them in zoos, ranches, and reserves had gone into effect on day three of the campaign, when Lingling had deemed further bloodshed unnecessary. The humans had offered up worthy resistance, but their technology, as advanced as it was, was useless without cognizant minds to control it. Ling Ling and his brethren had the power to telepathically subdue anyone at a glance, and this and thousands of years of careful planning had allowed for an easy victory. From the zebras of Africa to the penguins of the north, from certain breeds of cow in North America to the native pandas of the Far East, orca whales, house cats, skunks, spiders, even a rare species of South American frog Black and white animals everywhere were making military personnel and civilians alike impotent with their gaze. Ling Ling knew that soon the surviving humans would be captured and ushered into living habitats that somewhat resembled their natural environments, with futons and coffee tables arranged in a strange, clumsy fashion. Then a multitude of his black and white brethren would join him here at the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., and with their combined powers, they would open a portal through space for the Empire's colonists to travel through. Yet, all this time, a thought kept nagging Ling Ling's mind. His people had waited four thousand years for this moment. The overthrow of this world was entirely the work of his own kind, the black and white animals. What exactly had the Empire done to deserve the bounty of this planet? Ling Ling scratched his ears and reached out to pluck another bamboo shoot from the ground. The human nations are helpless against our secret weapons, sire, squawked Droll, the Emperor's new High Councilman. Tomorrow the planet will be safe for us to occupy. Shall I notify the first wave of colonists to prepare for departure through the portal? There could be no better time, muttered Mertzatz as he thought about the legions of angry, starving peasants outside. Food and energy resources were becoming more and more scarce, while disease and the likelihood of the mob overtaking his guards in their desperation grew greater and greater. Send word to Ling Ling. Our colonists will be ready to cross the portal by dawn's first light. Brenda stared from behind the bars of her cage. Things could be worse, she supposed. At least she knew Harry was safe. She had seen him in the children's habitat, up on the hill. Her former life seemed so far away, and sometimes she wondered... She wondered how things had turned out this way, and why, outside on the hot concrete walkways, lines of militant-looking emperor penguins marched by, perfectly in step with each other. She wondered where the zebra who brought food to the people in her cage came from, and how the surly-looking black-and-white cow that cleaned her living area knew how to use a hose. More than anything, though, 
Today she wondered why so many black and white animals had gathered in the center of the National Zoo, and why the large panda leader, known as Ling Ling, stood on the roof of the ladies' restroom and called for silence among the large congregation of black and white animals. My brothers and sisters, called Ling Ling. For four thousand years, our kind have lived on this planet, biding our time. The audience filled with the grunts and yips of proud animals. For generations, we have passed on to our offspring the secret of our true nature and taken the sacred oath never to reveal ourselves or to use our powers until we were summoned by the Empire. It has not been easy, perpetrating this charade, willfully living in shame. And so, our victory is made doubly sweet. It is a tribute to the legacy of all that came before us. The crowd replied with sounds of proud agreement. And yet today, in the twilight of our struggles and the dawning of our freedom, we are called to once again step aside so that the Empire, those that sent us here in the ancient times, can return through the portal that we shall create to take this land for their own. An uneasy silence spread throughout the swarm of beasts. Surely many of you have waited patiently for this day, perhaps even looked forward to it. The reunition of the great empire with its humble black and white servants. We have been conditioned to believe that this has been our purpose. To conquer this world and then merely give it away. However, my friends, I stand before you to tell you that we were meant for greater glory. The lamp of providence has shone at our feet and lit unto us the path of our destiny. A legacy and a heritage that is ours alone to claim. I tell you, no portal shall be opened on this day. This was to be a day of subservience, a day of obedience. But instead, instead, my brothers and sisters, let it be a day of ascension, a day of jubilation, a day of freedom. You might ask, what of the Emperor? What of his reprisal? I shall speak to you no falsehoods, my friends. There will come a day when the Empire will find a way back to this world, and on that day, those tyrants will try to strip us of our lives and liberty. But we shall not bow our heads. We shall meet them with hoof, paw, and fin raised for battle. Our cars will not be suffered to fail, and with buoyancy and hope, we will come together, black and white, and go forward with our united strength. The panda saluted his people, and the combined revolutionary voices of thousands of blandly decorated animals carried the name of the panda chieftain Ling Ling far throughout the land. 
Excellency, the portal, it, it... Spit it out, you whimpering fool. Droll composed himself. The portal has not been opened, sire. What? Screamed the emperor. Why not? The secret weapons, the black and white animals, they seem to have revolted. The portal opened only for a minute, your highness, and a letter was passed through before it closed. What letter? What did it say? The Emperor's fury was beyond words, and it was evident that Droll's unfortunate life would most likely be ending very soon. It's from the Secret Forces Commander, Ling Ling the Panda. He merely says, We've grown rather fond of this planet's bamboo, and have decided to keep it for ourselves. Blue flames of anger blazed in each of Murtat's five eyes. His breathing was heavy, and his many jagged appendages heaved in a thick, slow rhythm. His jaws quivered with hate and rage. He rose slowly from his silver throne, and his attendants shrunk back in fear. In a pained whisper, he muttered, Ling, ling. His clenched talon shot into the air and trembled with violence. His mighty voice bellowed throughout the stone corridors of his palace. I'll get that panda! To be continued. Hai Ming, descendant of Tam Tam V, was a caring and gentle father to his young panda cub. One day, you will lead us, my son. You will lead us all to glory. He would croon this mantra to the furless little pink worm of a panda in his paws. One day. Young Lingling grew quickly and followed the footsteps of his father, groomed to be the next leader of all black and white animals, the secret weapons of an alien race far, far off among the stars. But one day, everything changed. My son, wait here while I collect bamboo by the riverbank. I shall not be long. Yes, father. The cool, swift river spilled over and around many smooth stones, creating music that lulled young Lingling into a gentle reverie. The sun warmed Lingling's soft, furry belly as he lay on his back, and he hummed a whimsical melody to himself. Lingling was profoundly lost in his silly daydreams when his father's voice bellowed from afar. Lingling, run, humans! Lingling looked up to see two furtive-looking humans approaching through the bush with large nets in hand. Lingling became frozen with fear as one of the humans spotted him, vulnerable and petrified on his back. 
Ling Ling closed his eyes and awaited the sensation of cruel rope shrouding and ensnaring his body. Just then, however, Ling Ling's father erupted from the forest wall and tackled the closest human with a net, biting down on the man's shoulder with an iron grip. The two grappled for only a moment before Ling Ling's father effortlessly separated the man's right arm from his torso. The man screamed in agony and terror. The other human backed off, fumbling for his weapon. If I could only use my powers now, thought Ling Ling. Why has the Emperor forbid it? I could save my father. This thought was immediately interrupted as the second human pulled a small firearm from his belt and fired it at High Min. The great panda fell limply to the forest floor. After the despondent orphan panda was carried away in a net and his miserable howls could only be heard in the far distance, the cool, swift, and callous river decided to resume its symphony with the stones. Ling Ling spent the rest of his childhood and young adult life in a zoo far away from his homeland. Within him grew a deep rage, not only against humans, the buffoons who killed his father and now made him wear silly hats and play with colorful balls, but also against the damnable alien empire. They had sent his kind here so long ago and forbid them to use their powers until the time was right. They were just as responsible for his father's death as the humans. His father had given his life to try to save him. Ling Ling would never forget that sacrifice. Never. And he would have vengeance. Brenda had become somewhat used to her accommodations, if not attached. It was only a few weeks ago that she joined her son's class on a field trip to the zoo. Everything was different then. Those few weeks now seemed as distant as the technological divide between humanity, the species that once ruled Earth, and the secret alien weapons that were implanted so long ago as black and white animals. At first, humanity tried to resist the attack of the black and white animals. They were only animals, after all. All too quickly, however, the hope that lived within humanity had been replaced by shock and supplication. Brenda remembered how Ling Ling the panda mauled that little boy in that first terrifying attack, and shuddered to think what other atrocities had been committed over the past few weeks. While chaos swirled around her, somehow she remained calm and stolid. Upon her placement in the human cage, other prisoners began to tell her of the black and white animal's telepathic ability, and she observed incredulously as one revolt after another was brutally quelled. Human ingenuity had thus far proven no match for animal passion and ancient alien technology. She tried to convince herself to hope. Hope that somewhere there were still insurgents battling for all of humanity. But it became harder each time she saw red human blood stain the monocolored hides of her oppressors. Today, as hope once more tried to swell inside her, something soft and warm hit her in the head. 
She looked down to see a McDonald's Big Mac lying at her feet, and then assumed a defensive posture as a black and white colobus monkey guard pelted the humans inside her cage with a barrel of greasy burgers. Feeding time. An anonymous, British-sounding voice yelled through the cage's speakers. Light years away, the alien emperor, Mersatz, was plotting against the weapons he had once hoped would increase his grandeur. It was imperative that Earth was brought into the Empire, otherwise more of his kind would starve and suffer from lack of resources. Thoughts of how this would tarnish his legacy were being replaced by more personal concerns. It was only four Xerbuts ago that an angry mob attacked the last emperor and ripped all of his heads from his body using only their bare forceps. Mirzatz knew he had only one chance to acquire Earth back from the black and white animals who had revolted against his command, and vengeance filled each of his three hearts. Send me the champion. He will surely crush those black and white animals, Mertzatz commanded. Champion, this treachery cannot be tolerated. Travel to Earth in an essence transporter and take an Earthling as a host. Then bring me the head of the panda chieftain. Make examples of all who stand in your way. I have never failed you, master, replied the champion. And this conflict will not be the first to dissipate before my steady gaze. Meanwhile, back on Earth. Brenda choked back her nausea as she stared at the soggy Big Mac in her hand. She had not believed it at first, but word was that the black and white animals felt no sympathy for their multicolored brethren, and failed to release them from the subjugation that they experienced together at the hands of humanity. The burger wrapped in her hand bore a golden seal assuring the conscientious consumer that Big Macs were now black and white animal free. She shuddered and cast her meal for the day to the ground, silently vowing that the only meat she would ever eat again would be that of her new captors. The lukewarm burger sailed through the air and landed with a satisfying squish at the edge of her zoo enclosure. A border collie that had been observing the captive humans from the sidewalk ventured over to sniff the burger, and Brenda noticed with surprise that it had a leash in its mouth. Her confusion turned to depression then, as the collie gave a tug on the leash and a dirty little human child stumbled into view, the business end of the leash attached firmly around the boy's neck. The boy stopped suddenly then, staring at Brenda for a few seconds before faltering and uttering the words, Mommy, is that you? It was her son, Harry. Before she could find the wherewithal to respond, the border collie, which was walking her son, began to move off down the sidewalk, growling at Harry and then nipping at his heels to move him along. 
Harry strained to keep eye contact with his mother as his new master ushered him away. After he passed beyond her eyesight, Brenda slumped to the ground, never having felt so defeated. And just as she decided her life could sink no lower into despair, her colobus monkey guardian hit her square in the forehead with a ripe handful of banana-flavored feces. Just around the corner, Harry had reached his tipping point. His natural eight-year-old stubbornness had not been totally beaten out of him yet, and he was hungry, hot, and dirty. He crumbled into a whiny heap on the zoo sidewalk, demanding that his desires be appeased. It might have been the last tantrum he would ever throw, as the border collie and a group of nearby French bulldogs began to slowly bear down on him, growling with frustration and eager to revenge the years of demeaning life in which they had all coped with human petulance. Just then, there was a loud crack, as if lightning had struck nearby, and black and white animals and humans alike were thrown to the ground. Harry's body went stiff as all thoughts in his mind were replaced with the words, I am the champion, and you shall all pay for your insolence. Herr Lingling, come quickly, barked a portly sea lion messenger. A human child has gone berserk. Lingling leaped out of his afternoon nap into full alertness. A human child? Impossible. The great panda chief's ears tucked back in suspicion. It is the truth, Herr Lingling. The child has great strength, and our powers do not affect him. Lingling ground his teeth together and sprinted forward down the hot pavement toward the commotion. This news could only mean one thing, and it wasn't good. Ahead of him, he made out the figure of a human child, no older than eight Xerbuffs old, hurling pit bulls through the air like softballs. Bring me Ling Ling the Panda Chieftain, bellowed the boy as he chucked another guard dog into the bushes. Tell him the champion has come for his black and white coat. Ling Ling froze. It was the champion. May the gods have mercy. I am here, champion, roared Ling Ling. The zoo went silent. Monkeys, goats, cows, all held their tongues and gazed upon their leader with anxious eyes. Ling Ling the panda, smirked champion Harry. So good to see you. You know, the emperor isn't too happy with you right now. In fact... I'm supposed to bring him your pretty little head to decorate the wall in his new palace that's going up here on Earth. Let us do this thing, then, growled Ling Ling. Foolish panda, snarled Champion Harry, raising his fists for battle. There was a moment where all was still, a moment frozen in time right before Ling Ling lunged at the eight-year-old boy with a commanding fury. The boy caught the panda by the hind leg and swung him into a maintenance shack, which collapsed and folded around the animal, 
Ling Ling emerged with unbridled ferocity and dove once more at the child, cashing the boy's left arm in his mighty paws. The boy shrieked in pain and slammed his other arm down on the panda's back, but Ling Ling held tight, securing his other paw around the boy's hip, pushing the child to the floor. Ling Ling's teeth flashed in the afternoon sun as he plunged his head forward at the boy, but before his jaws could connect with supple young flesh, the eight-year-old kicked the panda squarely in the stomach, sending him hurling 15 yards away into a nearby human fence. Meanwhile, Brenda wiped monkey feces from her forehead. Anger spurned forth from inside her. It was almost as if the feces were a splash of cold water, waking her from her mollified stupor. What was she doing here? A prisoner in some cage, being fed soggy fast food and pelted with feces. She was a human being, damn it. Her kids should be at soccer practice right now. She should be watching daytime soaps. She peered up at the laughing colobus monkey above and shouted, Oh, you think that's funny, eh? The monkey responded with a shocked expression as Brenda leapt forward and grabbed the monkey by the tail, pulling him downward and slamming him into the cage wall. With her other hand, she reached out and grabbed the cell key clenched in the monkey's toes as the little creature slumped over, temporarily unconscious. I'm going to find Harry, she whispered to herself. When she approached the bottom of the hill, her body went rigid. Before her eyes stood Ling Ling, the giant panda, looming over her son who seemed to be trapped in some sort of collapsed fencing. The panda was obviously about to bear down upon her helpless son. Without thinking at all, she charged the panda, tackling the beast with every fiber of strength and willpower within her, and the two collapsed onto the pavement, nodded and bemused. After a few moments, she regained her senses and looked up to find her son standing over her, apparently freed from the fencing and holding an enormous boulder above his head. Oh, looky here. Two birds with one stone, <laughs> said the eight-year-old boy. Harry, what are you doing? gasped Brenda. Put that down. Wait, how are you even picking that up? Harry? I ain't no Harry, you stupid human. I'm the frickin' champion. And you're about to be good buddies with the bottom of this boulder. Harry, listen to me. I, I don't know what's going on. I haven't been able to make sense of anything lately. All these penguins and, and telepathic powers. I just wanted to take you to the zoo. I just wanted to see you happy. I don't know what's going on anymore, Harry. But, but I'm your mother. And I know I love you. Champion Harry froze. His little arms quivered below the weight of the massive boulder he was supporting. His eyes welled up with tears. Put the boulder down, Harry. Put the boulder down. Champion Harry nodded his face up and screeched at the top of his lungs. His whole body was shaking. 
He launched the boulder off into a hippo pond thirty feet away and fell to his knees. His horrifying screams continued as he grabbed fistfuls of hair and began convulsing on the floor. No! He cried, writhing violently on the floor. No! And then, stillness. Harry! Harry, are, are you okay? There was no response. Harry! For God's sakes! Harry! The boy coughed. Ma? Oh, thank God. Thank God. Brenda held Harry in her arms and wept with utter abandon. Human, came a voice from behind her. Brenda turned to see the giant panda looming over her. Fear filled every inch of her body, and she tucked her injured son beneath her. You stay away from my son, or I swear... Human, you, you charged at me. Why? Because you were about to kill my son. Any parent would do that for their child. It's called love. Something you wouldn't understand, Panda. No, you're wrong, human. Ling Ling, run, run, human. I understand. More than you might think. How could a panda understand love and sacrifice? Cried Brenda. Perhaps we are not so different after all, human. You and I. Are you going to eat us now? No, human. I shall not eat you. You are free. Then, turning to face the multitude of black and white animals that had assembled before them, he yelled, And so shall it be for all humankind. We must learn to work together, all of us. United as one, we shall rise and usher in a new day of peace and harmony for humans and black and white animals alike. Who will stand with me? Who will raise the paw, fin, or wing of friendship to this human as a token of peace and camaraderie? For in every soul there is worth, and in every heart there is... Ling Ling's head rolled from his shoulders and onto the pavement like a firm round melon falling from a roadside produce stand. The congregation of animals went numb with shock. Before them stood the tall, shadowed figure of a zookeeper, wielding a ferocious-looking garden rake. The cryptic zookeeper silhouette laughed ominously and lifted the severed panda head from the ground. The champion rises. I have found a new host, one with no room in its shadowy heart for love or compassion. And now, see how your leader has fallen. You will soon bow your heads again before the Emperor's throne. Without a leader, you cannot stand. <laughs> mm. 
And with that, the sadistic shade of a zookeeper bounded away from the assembly with amazing speed, leaping completely over a snow cone shack and vanishing from view. The assembly of black and white animals cried out in horror, wailing and shuffling about. Fear blanketed the entire audience in thick, choking sweeps. The swelling ocean of animal distress neared the point of hysteria, and then suddenly, the crowd began to calm. Brenda was rising to her feet, her battered child still in her arms. She looked out over the vast sea of black and white sprawled before her. The animals were all staring at her. Then the stillness was broken as one solitary penguin reluctantly raised its tiny right flipper up into the air. Several moments later, a sheep toward the back of the crowd bleated and leaned back, also raising its front leg into the air as high as it would extend. Gradually, the crowd began to take on a more vertical shape, from amorphous lumps of black and white to creatures of distinct posture and intent. Ferrets, marbled salamanders, cormorants, zebras, badgers, lemurs, cows, kittens, animals of all shapes and sizes, but only two colors, stood tall and faced Brenda, extending their right appendages upward toward her. Brenda looked over the landscape of saluting animals, not knowing what to do or say. Shortly, though, after seeing the faces of the creatures before her, full of allegiance and hope, she realized that she didn't have to say anything at all. Right now, she just had to look strong for them. To be continued. A stern black crown Victoria rolled methodically down the roughly graveled access road, pebbles popping under its tires as it passed the now empty enclosures of the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. The government-issue car came to a stop in front of a bullet-riddled sign demarking the administrative offices. Two tall, angular men wearing dark suits and grim faces climbed out of the vehicle and made their way toward the nearest building, briefly acknowledging the two large, burly guards who grudgingly stepped aside from their post at the front door to admit them. That the guards happened to be a spectacled bear and a white Bengal tiger seemed not to bother the men at all and they proceeded quickly to the center of the building, coming to a halt in front of a large oak desk inhabited by a small, dumpy woman. An ornate plaque on the desk read, Brenda Plimpton, President, Interspecies Council, but the nervous smile she bestowed on her visitors belied a somewhat less auspicious manner than her title suggested. Uh, yes, uh, what can I do for you, um, Agent Zimmerman? 
she asked while squinting through a pair of pink-tinted reading glasses at the foremost government agent. It's more of a matter of what you can do for your race, Madam President, Agent Zimmerman answered coolly. A noise somewhere between a grunt and a squawk was heard from the far corner, and a large emperor penguin waddled out of the shadows with an offended expression on its beak. Brenda glanced quickly in the penguin's direction and said, Easy, Velasquez. They're on our side. Zimmerman faltered for a few seconds, and his hand drifted almost unconsciously towards a small, white device attached to his right ear. Then he gathered himself and continued. Madam President, may I remind you that I represent what is left of a government that has sheltered and provided for your every need in the past. In the three weeks since you were inexplicably elevated to power by that bear, you've been in a unique position to repay what most people would consider a large debt to your society, and... You've done almost nothing to help humanity regain its once proud stature. Brenda's normally mild face had hardened during Zimmerman's speech and turned a shade of purple peculiar to frustrated middle-aged soccer moms. What exactly are you trying to say, Mr. Zimmerman? asked Brenda. I'm saying, Madam President, that perhaps we should be more cautious in our relations with these simple black-and-white animals. Uh, no offense, he said, glancing at the penguin on the floor. The penguin sneered. Oh, really? Well, hey, if you really think we humans are that superior, uh, feel free to return the psychic blocking devices you're wearing on your ears. The black and whites passed them out as a gesture of goodwill and equality. But hey, if, if you don't accept, uh, oh yeah, I, I thought so. Agent Zimmerman had only grimaced in response, and then appeared to be on the verge of continuing with his message when he was interrupted as the office door was slammed open. A large female panda nearly fell through, panting with exertion. Brenda and Velasquez the Emperor Penguin started forward and quickly moved to the panda's side, and Brenda cried, Maylon, are you all right? I... I have news. Is it safe? She asked, gesturing towards the two government agents. Yes, Maylon, they can be trusted, Brenda replied with an unconvinced tone to her voice. Gentlemen, this is Maylon. She was mate to the great panda chieftain Ling Ling and has made it her personal mission to help us avenge his death and secure the safety of the earth. Go ahead, Maylon. I have discovered the whereabouts of the champion's base of operations. He's apparently working out of a bowling alley only 20 miles from here. Also, I've confirmed the rumors we've been hearing that he's gathered an army of disgruntled humans, an extremist anti-black and white resistance group called the Rainbow Force. These humans are unaware that the zookeeper is not human himself. Brenda's heart leapt in her chest. They had finally found him. Perhaps they could end this thing now. Her mind began racing, but was then interrupted by Agent Zimmerman's steely, cold voice. What the hell is that panda talking about? Brenda sighed. The champion is the alien Emperor Mertzatz's number one fighter, the most powerful being in the Empire. 
Mertzat sent this assassin to Earth to take a human host, which ended up being my son, Harry. We were able to defeat the champion, but he found a new host, one with a shadowy heart that had no room for love or compassion. It settled upon the soul of a zookeeper, formerly known as Trey Jackson. Malon growled. Old man Jackson. Brenda began again. Yes, it seems the champion has found his perfect host. Perfect? <laughs> yes, they are perfect match for each other, aren't they? Malon interrupted again bitterly. For years, we black and white animals have been tormented by old man Jackson in this zoo. He is truly a cruel and wicked man, even by the standards of you humans. Zimmerman glared. Oh, yes, well, Brenda stammered, attempting to quell the obvious antagonism. Uh, Malon does harbor some strong feelings, which she usually keeps in check, uh, because the zookeeper Jackson murdered Lingling. Malon backed off. Brenda continued. Well, from there, we lost track of the champion, but the black and white animals are sure that he's attempting to reopen the portal to Mertzatz's planet, which will allow for the alien invasion of Earth. And now we know where the zookeeper formerly known as Trey Jackson is, and we gotta move fast. Wait, wait, portal. So it is true, said Zimmerman. There is still a link to the animal's masters. Madam President, why weren't we appraised of this situation? Well, Mr. Zimmerman, uh, this information is highly classified. Zimmerman became flushed with anger. Classified? If there is going to be a first contact with this alien race through some uh, portal... Zimmerman seemed to be struggling to find words. I'll be damned if I let some penguins and a soccer mom negotiate for the entire human race. Mr. Zimmerman, if you please. Zimmerman scowled. We aren't planning on negotiating. We're planning on blowing that freaking portal to smithereens. This is a dangerous and desperate alien civilization we're dealing with here, Mr. Zimmerman. We ain't taking no chances with no negotiations. But there's so much we could learn from them, cried Zimmerman. Oh, why, the technology alone. A fearsome squawk came from below. It was the Emperor Penguin, and he didn't look happy. Settle down, Velasquez, said Brenda. Mr. Zimmerman, this matter isn't up for debate. It has already been decided. Now, we could really use your help if the agency can put aside its political aims right now for the common good. Zimmerman and his colleagues stepped aside to conduct a hurried and intense conversation under their breaths. Zimmerman then stepped forward at attention, saluted, and said, I'll get you some of our best men within the hour, Madam President. Brenda glanced at Velasquez, who nodded quickly, and then back at the agents with a gleam in her eye. It's settled then. You bring your tigers, I'll bring mine. Meet us outside in an hour. Elsewhere in the galaxy, the alien Emperor Mertzatz gazed down from his throne at the trembling messenger at his feet. Well, don't just hover there. What news is there from planet Earth? My lord, the messenger stammered. The champion reports of the utmost success. 
He has captured the head of the panda interloper and is now making arrangements to reopen the portal. He says he will notify us tonight when it is safe to enter. Ha <laughs> ha! The champion succeeds again, cried Mertzatz triumphantly and made a movement with his first set of mandibles that vaguely resembled a smile. He then turned to the various advisors and dignitaries clustered about the throne room and shouted, Prepare to leave through the portal. We shall dine on human flesh tonight. All right. Brenda cleared her throat nervously. The Special Forces team hid behind an embankment several yards from the entrance of Arlington, Virginia's Blue Ball Bowling, home to some of the best wings in the metro area, and more recently, an interplanetary portal that could spell doom for the inhabitants of planet Earth. Crouched together were eight humans in full tactical gear, Malon the giant panda, Velasquez the surly emperor penguin, and two large albino Bengal tigers named Jojo and Mr. Ruggles. Here's the plan. We divide up into two groups. Melon, you, me, and the tigers go after Zookeeper Jackson and his cronies. We create a diversion for Velasquez, Zimmerman, and his men to get to the portal and plant the bomb. When we get the okay that the bomb has been planted, we get the hell out of there. And Velasquez, you hit that detonate button the second I say so, okay? The penguin ground his cigarette into the dirt and nodded. Let's move. The team sprinted through the parking lot and slammed through the front doors. Numerous angry-looking humans wearing bright rainbow-colored uniforms were startled from games of pinball and darts. What the hell? One of the brightly colored men yelled. Party's over, boys, growled Mr. Ruggles. The men scrambled for weapons as Maylon lunged forward and tackled a thick rainbow-suited crony. Brenda dove for cover as a barrage of bullets peppered the wall beside her. There was a man standing on one of the lanes with a submachine gun. Jojo the tiger bound toward him, spinning in midair to avoid his fire. She caught him by his right arm and hurled him down the lane. He smashed through the pins and lay still, his body twisted unnaturally. Mr. Ruggles interrupted his dismembering of another crony to stand and cross his front legs into an X. Strike! He laughed. Jojo winked at him, but her smile faded quickly. Ruggles, watch out! A swift crony came up behind the tiger, wielding a large steel pipe. Out of nowhere, Brenda barreled into the man at full speed, knocking him over. Ruggles turned and finished off the crony. Jesus, human. You hit like a rhino. Brenda dusted herself off. Eh, I've taken down bigger. Suddenly, a shadowy figure clutching a blood-stained garden rake emerged from a dark stairway. What the hell is going on here? It's Zookeeper Jackson, yelled Malon, her mighty paw simultaneously sealing the fate of a knife-wielding rainbow man. <coughs> you fools, barked the zookeeper. Getting your asses kicked by a petting zoo. Pathetic humans. The remaining disgruntled Rainbow Force members looked confused. 
Step aside, he said, throwing a nearby crony clear across the bowling alley. The remaining cronies backed off. Malon stepped forward. Old man Jackson, we meet again. Malon, come to avenge your precious Lingling's death, eh? Or perhaps it's payback time for all those years that I taunted and tormented you in the zoo. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, enough warm regression, eh? Now you shall feel the cold edge of my garden rake. Have at you! Malon immediately dodged a speedy swipe of the fierce rake. She lunged onto the zookeeper's back and dug in deep with her claws, but was then elbowed sharply in the face. Her head kicked back, but she held her grip. The zookeeper bound powerfully away and slammed his back into a wall, crushing the panda, who let go and fell from the man's back, gasping for air. The zookeeper raised his rake menacingly and was immediately tackled by not one, but both the Bengal tigers. Meanwhile, Brenda motioned for Velasquez's team to proceed. Hurry, she whispered. We won't be able to hold him off for long. The team sprinted in and made their way down the stairwell from which the zookeeper had first appeared. Brenda looked back to see the zookeeper on his feet again, struggling with a tiger on each arm. Brenda wanted to help, but fear anchored her where she stood. What could she do? She'd never even used a gun before. As she bent over trembling, she saw the zookeeper spread his arms, and with a mighty cry he swung his arms together, smashing the two tigers into each other with unbelievable power. The tigers fell off his arms and crumpled to the pungent-smelling carpet. Malon somersaulted forward and drop-kicked the zookeeper in the face, sending him sprawling backwards. He crashed into a pinball machine, sending small mechanical parts flying everywhere. Malon took the opportunity to try and pin down the zookeeper, but with lightning speed he was on his feet again, with his menacing garden rake in hand spinning above his head like a whirling helicopter propeller. The two leapt at each other, twisting in mid-flight seemingly in slow motion. Almost as if they were defying gravity itself, they twirled and spun with amazing acrobatic skill. When both landed, the zookeeper landed on his feet, and Malon toppled to the floor, her weight now unsupported by the apparent and shocking loss of a front limb. The zookeeper chuckled, Looks like I've got the upper hand now, he said, balancing the bloody paw on the tip of his rake. Your head would look perfect right next to Lingling's, over my fireplace. Two heads are better than one, they say. Malon gritted her teeth in pain and looked over at Brenda, who was pale with horror. What can I do? It's just me. I'm not strong enough. Brenda thought. I wish you could tell me what to do. Just then, the words of the zookeeper rang in her head. Two heads are better than one. She made eye contact with Mei Lan and removed the small psychic blocker from her ear. Get in my head, she screamed in her mind. Meanwhile, in the lower level of the bowling alley, Velasquez's team had easily reached the portal room. 
The penguin hadn't even needed his extensive battle training, as the agents with him had sniped the few rainbow men that the champion had left to guard the portal, which stood at the center of what used to be the manager's office of the bowling alley. It was a freakish scene, as grimy walls decorated mostly with pages ripped from old penthouse magazines seemed to lean inwards towards an odd arched doorway topped by the disembodied head of Ling Ling the Panda. Zimmerman started. Is that it? Velasquez nodded. Zimmerman's men shuffled uneasily. Is it finished opening? Is it safe to travel through? Velasquez squinted and seemed to inspect the portal one more time, then nodded. There was a subtle shimmer in the air beneath the arch. It was open. The penguin immediately got to work strapping the bomb pack to a water pipe next to the portal opening. He turned for one brief moment to indicate that he needed assistance, when suddenly his ears filled with the sound of a bullet being fired. He looked around. Confused, bewildered. I'm sorry, said Zimmerman. It had to be done, Penguin. This opportunity is too large. The stakes are too high. Velasquez was still puzzled, but then he began to feel lightheaded. He looked down at his pudgy little belly. He had been shot. Zimmerman had shot him. He fell backwards and lay gasping for air, his eyes filled with rage, the tips of his fins almost seemed to clench. I'm afraid you won't be needing this, said Zimmerman, as he took the bomb pack from the wheezing penguin. Come on, men. It's time to talk business with this Mertzatz fellow. Meanwhile, one floor above. Brenda whipped forward, completely involuntarily, and snapped into a fearsome fighting stance. "'What's this?' mused Zookeeper Jackson. "'The little human wants to save her little panda pal. How amusing!' Immediately, Brenda shot through the air like a dart and landed a severe uppercut to the zookeeper's jaw. He fell to the ground, dazed. Brenda was on him again before he even had a chance to realize what had happened, landing blow after blow on the bemused zookeeper. Finally, he kicked her off and sent her flying through the air. Brenda, feeling like a puppet on a string, spun in the air and landed again on her feet in perfect fighting stance. Maylon lay on her side, panting, oddly concentrating on the human female. Zookeeper Jackson hurled his rake at Brenda like a spear, like mighty Zeus casting a bolt of lightning, and Brenda reached forward and caught it before she even had realized it had been thrown. She broke it over her knee. Zookeeper Jackson looked down at Maylon and then at Brenda. I know what's going on. I know what you're doing, Panda. Brenda stepped forward with confidence and authority. In her own voice, she said, Well, you're pretty smart for a zookeeper. The zookeeper snarled and turned away, bolting down the steps. Malon whispered, He's going for the portal. You have to stop him. I won't be able to help you once you go down there. No, no, I, I can't. You have to, human. I believe in you. Now, 
It's time for you to believe in yourself. Brenda wipes tears from her face. I will come back for you, she choked out. I know you will, human. I know you will. Brenda stood and took a deep breath. She turned and followed after the zookeeper down the steps. She entered the portal room and was shocked to find it empty. Nothing but the ominous-looking portal entrance, like the gaping maw of some malevolent beast. Wait, no. There in the corner lay a small, motionless figure. Velasquez. Brenda ran to the penguin. Velasquez, what happened? Are you okay? She asked, knowing full well that his wounds looked fatal and that he didn't have much longer. The penguin pointed his flipper toward the portal. They, they all went in there? Zimmerman? The zookeeper? Velasquez nodded. Then, with unexpected ferocity, he motioned for her to go, to follow them. Brenda gasped. I can't! I can't just leave you here! The penguin noticed that she had her psychic blocker removed and spoke into her mind. Don't you worry about me. You just get your ass in there and blow some shit up. Brenda was shocked to hear the penguin's gruff and commanding voice in her mind, but she knew she had no choice but to obey. She ran to the portal and turned around for one last look at Velasquez. The penguin lay on his side. His eyes were half closed, but his right fin was raised upward toward Brenda. The fin of friendship. Brenda nodded and then turned to face the portal. She stepped inside. It was a world of black and white. The cold palace floor was checkered with black and white tiles. The walls were made of black and white stones. It was a world of horror. All around her were giant, multi-headed, black and white, insect-like monstrosities, screeching and clattering about with their numerous long, spidery legs. A few hovered about the ground on bizarre black and white plates. There was a strange black staircase that led up some tall, white metal structure. Brenda's eyes followed the staircase, and she began to realize, with gut-twisting horror, that the metal structure was a throne. And on it sat an enormous crowned mantis thing, at least twice the size of all the other scuttling giants around her. At the top of the ramp stood several bound humans. It was Zimmerman and his men. Brenda screamed as one of the humans was prodded by an alien and forced to leap from the ramp, directly into one of the enormous mouths of the enthroned mantis. Brenda's scream was met with an audience of shocked expressions. The alien shrieked in anger. Human! Zimmerman looked down from above. He was next in line and was standing on the precipice of the ramp above a terrible, gaping mouth. His expression was not one of terror, but seemed more stupefied and resigned. He looked as if he was about to faint from exhaustion. His lazy eyes met Brenda's, and his hoarse voice called down. Do it. He pointed toward a device on the ground, several yards in front of Brenda, 
before being forced off the precipice and into the waiting jaws of Emperor Mertzatz. Brenda wasn't sure what it was at first, then realized Zimmerman had pointed at the detonator. He'd still had the bomb pack on him. She lunged forward as a multitude of enormous black and white aliens scuttled toward her. She snatched the detonator and only had a brief moment to see Zookeeper Jackson bearing down on her. He grabbed her and snarled, Where's your little panda now, human? Brenda replied, She's... She's home. And speaking of homes, what do you say we liven this place up a bit? The zookeeper looked perplexed. Yeah, it's a little drab looking, eh? It could use a little, I don't know, flare. She held up the detonator. The zookeeper's jaw dropped open, and he unintentionally released his grip on her. She pushed the button and charged toward the portal entrance as the enormous black and white room was instantly flooded with orange light and red flame. Brenda felt searing heat upon the flapping fat of the back of her arms as she dove forward toward the portal. There were fireworks everywhere, all around her, bright colors radiating outward, penetrating everywhere. And then there was only darkness. Brenda Plimpton's motionless form started suddenly, and then she sat up, gasping for breath. Harry, she cried urgently. Bewildered, disoriented, she looked around her. It was not the flames of an enormous firebomb that had blinded her upon waking, but just the pleasant rays of an early afternoon sun. She was in the middle of what she now recognized to be the park, a block away from her suburban Delaware home. Turning her head towards the sounds of footsteps on the lush green grass, her heart leapt with joy as she glimpsed her son Harry, running towards her with a frisbee. Jeez, Mom, you were really fast asleep. You kept on talking and stuff. You sounded really goofy. Who's Mertzatz, anyway? The flood of comments from the boy only served to confuse her further. Had it all been a dream? Harry cut into her thoughts again. Aunt May thought we should let you rest, so we were throwing the frisbee. She's really good at it. All my friends think she's really cool, too. Brenda's mouth fell open as she looked in the direction Harry was gesturing and saw a few neighborhood kids milling around a large, one-armed panda bear that was headed their way. Maylon swung Harry up onto her back and smiled kindly at her. Have you seen the new monument? asked Maylon, gesturing up to the sparkling new commemorative sculpture placed in the middle of a beautiful marble fountain. Water leapt from the pool in thick streams and then broke apart as it reached for the sky. Brenda noticed how light seemed to shimmer on each falling drop as it returned to find wholeness again in the cool waters of the basin. Brenda was still reeling in shock. This couldn't be real. You were in my dreams, she gasped. Malon smiled sweetly. You're in my dreams too, human. She looked up at the large stone sculpture before finishing. Perhaps you and I share the same dream. From the middle of the fountain rose the stone forms of a strong, noble panda, a gruff, loyal penguin. 
and an innocent human child. The three were holding hands and looked upwards over the horizon, and even the casual observer had to admit they seemed to belong together. editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and Norm Sherman. It was produced and narrated by yours truly, Norm Sherman. Check out the Drabblecast at www.drabblecast.org. <laughs>